Hey, everybody. This episode is brought to you by our proud title sponsor, NHL Sense Arena, the next generation of off-ice hockey training for players and goalies. Look, we know how much you invest in your children's hockey development, the early mornings, the travel, and let's not forget the expenses of training for hockey camps, private ice time, the general expenses of the season. It's a lot. But wouldn't it be great to bring that on-ice practice experience home that's fun, fits into your schedule, and that's affordable? If you said yes, which I'm sure you did, you've got to check out NHL Sense Arena. It's a top-tier virtual reality training game that brings the on-ice practice experience home so you can practice anytime and anywhere, literally. You can transform any part of your home into a virtual ice rink where you're getting unlimited access to over 100 drills, training plans from top coaches and players, weekly drill challenges, and more that focus on improving hockey sense and physical cognitive skills, starting at just $33 per month. That is a lot cheaper than an hour of ice time. The physical side of hockey gets a lot of attention, but we don't focus enough on the mental side of it. It's something we talk about on this show all the time. NHL Sense Arena provides an immersive solution for players to sharpen those skills when ice time is limited or not affordable and they want to get those extra reps in. So for our listeners, NHL Sense Arena is offering an exclusive $50 off their annual plan all you got to do is head over to their website, hockey.sensorina.com. Again, hockey.sensorina.com and use our code hockey never stops and you'll level up your off-ice training by using NHL Sensorina. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting us and NHL Sensorina. Enjoy this episode of Our Kids Play Hockey. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Lee. Welcome to this edition of Our Kids Play Hockey. Uh, got a great guest today with multiple tiers of experience. Uh, played in the NHL, runs one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, tournament and showcase uh, operations in America. Uh, and he's also a hockey dad to three children. So he's literally seen it all. It's Steve Dubinsky. Uh, again, he played for the Chicago Blackhawks. He runs Super Series AAA. Um, and we just have a great conversation with him today, really all across the board from, you know, what makes a great tournament, what you should be looking for, uh, to what makes a great hockey parent uh, and a hockey player. So you're going to really enjoy this conversation. Um, also, speaking of tournaments, we know the season's starting. Uh, and I know a lot of you parents don't like it when your kids throw their equipment all over the floor or they just can't find a place to put it or you have a yard sale in your basement. Uh, so we want you to check around, uh, check out the dry stick at HockeyWrapAround.com. Use the code OKPH for a discount. The dry stick attaches to your kid's ice hockey stick. Uh, each arm holds 10 pounds. And basically you consolidate the area in which your kid or your child or you are drying your equipment. Uh, it works for goalies. It works for players of all ages. Uh, check it out. It's got unbelievable reviews so far about the uh, versatility of it, but it'll consolidate the space. It's a it's it's healthy for your kids. Uh, obviously, drying equipment is necessary, uh, and you can do it using something that every kid has, which is a hockey stick. So check out the dry stick at HockeyWrapAround.com, 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 and use the code OKPH for a discount on uh, your order of anything, including the hockey wraparound. So uh, without further ado, enjoy this episode of Our Kids Play Hockey with Steve Dubinsky, and make sure you have a wonderful uh, week and season, which I know is starting right now. Hello, hockey friends and families around the world, and welcome to another edition of Our Kids Play Hockey. I'm Lee Elias, and I'm joined, as always, by my two good friends, Christy Casciano burns and Mike Benelli. And we've got a great guest with us today that I'm looking forward to introducing you to. Some of you may know him from his time with the Chicago Blackhawks. Others 
may know him as the hockey director of Super Series AAA, which houses some of the best showcases and tournament events in youth hockey, in addition to recently partnering with the Elite Prospects to create the Elite Prospects Cup Series, which is taking place over the entire U.S. uh, in different cities this season. He is a loving father to his three sons, Josh, Zach, and Aiden, all whom are currently coaching or playing at very high levels. And he's incredibly passionate about the game and even more passionate about the well-being of players. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Steve Dubinsky to the show today. Steve, welcome to Our Kids Play Hockey. Thanks for having me. Uh, Steve, let me start with this. You run a lot of tournaments, extremely successful tournaments, I might add, uh, probably the largest in the nation, right? So what should parents and teams look for when deciding to invest in a tournament or a showcase? That's what I want to start with today. Well, I think the biggest thing is, you know, we're, as we've kind of grown, let's call it over the last four or five years, I think I think that there's there's some tournaments and there's showcases. So I think when teams are deciding kind of what their schedule is going to look like, I think the biggest thing is making sure the competition level is there. And that's one of the things I think that, we've done extremely well is the fact that like, I don't want a team to come somewhere and be too good or not be good enough. And that's something that I think Jeremy Dallow, my partner and I have really stressed over the last probably, you know, five years that we've kind of changed our business model a little bit is that we don't want to have teams come where the families are spending money, flights, hotels, food, and they get to a tournament and they beat up on everybody. No one gets better. They're bitter because they didn't play the right teams. And on the, on the opposite side, if there's a team that's not strong enough, it might even be worse because you're going into a place, you know, Christy might know this, like you go into a tournament or a showcase and like you leave on Sunday, you're like, why did we do that? You know, our kids are discouraged. Uh, you know, we should have never been in this. The coach takes the heat. The manager takes the heat. The kids take the heat. They don't want to play the next weekend. And and I think, you know, that touches on a lot of things. Like it's not the right thing for anybody. On the, the winning side, hey, everybody's happy to win. They, they get it. They win a trophy. They might not feel as, you know, as great about it as if they beat everybody by a lot of goals, but it's still winning. It's that losing side that we really try and protect just because it's just not right. And that's kind of what I would say is the biggest thing for a, a manager, a coach, triple A, double A, you know, there's a lot of things that have happened since COVID where my hockey rankings, which is something I'm sure you've talked about on the show before, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent. That is a very good barometer, especially at the tier one level where teams are at. And so we, we utilize my hockey rankings as a barometer for, you know, deciding what teams should be in what events and the coaches and the managers should use that as well, because, you know, I always get the, Oh, well, you know, we revamped our team. We've gotten better, you know, and they come to the first tournament and they didn't do any better. And then it's like, you know, there's a trust between the, the, the manager, the coach, myself, what we do. And I, I think that's the biggest thing is with getting back to COVID, they, my hockey rankings has like one full list of an age group, whether it's tier one or tier two. So a lot of times in states like Florida, 
Texas, where there's only one tier one charter, double A hockey is strong. And so a lot of these double A teams don't have a tier one status, but we know from my hockey or from just experience that this team is a very good club and we want them coming, even if they have to play tier one teams because they're very competitive and COVID allowed that because we, from a business perspective, we almost needed the tier two teams to come. We weren't like handing them out like, Hey, come you're you're 200th in the country. But if you were a good, a good tier two club, we invited you. And some of these teams really surprised me, which really prompted the start of our tier two business. So, you know, COVID obviously was, was terrible for everybody, you know, and you know, you've experienced it twice, but, but at the end of the day, I think what it's done is it's given some of these clubs who cannot get a tier one charter, the opportunity, like we talked about, you know, seven, eight minutes ago, to play competitive games, regardless of the number of A's next to their name. And that's a big one that I use is, you know, it's not about the number of A's. It's about how competitive you are. No, it's a fantastic point, Steve. I, I actually really appreciate that in-depth answer. And, and the fact that you dive into that, like, you know, we, you know, the quality control on that, right. Of, of it's not just grab money and play. It's let's really look at where you're at, see if you fit in here and then creating the opportunity for other teams to play, which is again, that, that dives deeper into even a bigger mission here, right. Which is to, to grow the game of hockey, to make the game of hockey uh, a safer place, a smarter place for the athlete. Right. Uh, and that's something I think we don't talk about enough. And, and we've done shows before, uh, uh, Christy, I'll, I'll probably turn to you here, but we've done shows before about how there are just cash grabs out there and to really do this successfully, it's a lot more than just let's just create a tournament and get teams in here. Right. There are a lot of situations where it sounds too good to be true. And then when you get there and you find out it is um, so, you know, kind of a buyer beware situation there. But um, Steve, you raise a lot of great points. I think finding the right level of competition because we've been to tournaments where it's been so depressing. I mean, we didn't even stand a chance you know, when we went into a tournament and all these teams were well above the skill level of our kids and we're asking, what are we doing here? So, yeah, I mean, that's the most difficult part, I think, is finding the right fit for your team. You want the competition, but you also don't want to get beat at every chance your kids go out there, you know, and see the scoreboard just so lopsided. So what advice would you give to, to coaches and parents as they seek the right fit for their kids. Yeah, well, I think that the, I think there's a misconception all across the board, you know, because we have some elite tournaments, we have some AAA, we have AA in the spring, we have like super AAA where it's all-star teams. And, and, and one of the conversations that I have on a regular basis is I don't need you to bring a team that's going to win the tournament. I just need you to bring a team that's going to be competitive. And that's what I think as a parent, you know, for myself, I've had three boys, you know, I've had teams that are number one in the country that have coached. I've had teams, you know, that maybe are that normally in the top 10. So I've kind of lived in that. I've been fortunate with my boys to be on, to be coaching strong teams. 
but the other groups don't try like one of one of the the worst cliches ever is we want to see where we're at and i shake my head i'm like well who's going to benefit from you losing to mid fairfield 10 to nothing in a game yes you know maybe the goalie on the on the losing team gets 70 shots and the dad can be happy and he made you know 60 saves but <laughs> i i think that's the biggest you know it's and there are there's a lot of options there's a lot of good tournaments some of my closest friends run tournaments you know we 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 all get along we live in the space and it's one of those things where you know teams sign up and sometimes th- they surprise you sometimes they disappoint you but getting back to that is it it merely just comes down to you know just do your homework inquire you know myself and my partner and our group were we 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 field emails calls all the time from teams inquire hey we want to come to this so roxanne hill our operations manager will shoot me an email and say steve this team is interested in boston breakup that's a good example that's our largest tournament she'll connect me with the person I'll have a conversation with them to find out where they are. Cause with Boston, with such a big tournament that we, we like to tier the teams so that they're playing the right teams. If you're in the top 30, you're going to get teams that are in the top 30. Maybe you get one game or two out of the top 40, just because you know what, it's good. It's the start of the season. You can see where your team is at. You know, you can play some kids that are new. Like there's a whole bunch of things that in September, my mindset as a coach would have been different than it would have been in December, January. Right, right. And that's really it. I mean, I think that's what I would, what I would recommend is it doesn't have to be super series, even though I'd love it to be because there are other good tournaments, but the key to it is just making sure that you're in the right, like right level. There's tournaments right. that have multiple levels because it's such large tournaments and they do it right. They tier the teams. They have different levels and people have a good experience. And then you have, you know, what I call the, the elite group of teams from my hockey. And they've kind of built their own little uh, set, their own little segment in the market where they play each other and they deserve to play each other. And it's kind of like, in a sense, it's kind of helped our business because the the variety or the masses of the teams that want to play each other, let's say like 30 and below in my hockey, there's a a lot more teams in that segment than there are in the top 30 per se. And so from a business perspective, it, it's a great place to live at the top. And we have a partner of ours, uh, Matt Miles, who owns exposure hockey group that does create the elite experience. And it's been a good fit because we're not like um, pulling from each other. He's got his segment. We have ours. We've launched the double A. We now have this elite prospects cup series that you mentioned that really services a niche in the market. And 
And I think that's really it. Like the teams in today with, you know, the economy, flights are expensive, hotels are expensive, everything's expensive, gas is, you know, crazy. The crazy gear is expensive. And, and, and I think <laughs> gear is expensive. So yeah. but even from a travel perspective, because the gear is the gear, you know, like they're going to buy the gear, right? You know, they have to buy a $360 hockey stick. They have to. <laughs> they have to, but probably they have to. <laughs> so, but at the end of the day, the, the travel, is really the one where I think the managers and the coaches, and, I, and I've seen a lot of it changing in, you know, we have a, a Western exposure series that we built and we had a couple of teams from, I think it was Washington state um, that wanted to go out East to a tournament, signed up, paid. And uh, the director called me and said, Hey, listen, we, we looked at flights and we, we just can't justify the cost. And my answer isn't, well, it's too bad. My answer is we totally understand it. That is why we built this Western exposure series because we were conscious after all these years of me talking to these people, trying to convince them to come to Chicago or Boston or Pittsburgh or all these places that we have. I'm like, well, I built an event in Phoenix, Vegas, and San Jose specifically for that purpose of not having to cross the country to play games. You know, Steve, what I, what I love about Super Series AAA and, and the way you do this is that there is a clear understanding that there's a responsibility from your end to do this correctly, um, you know, which which I, I'll say it's not always shared, uh, you know, in terms of the, the uh, tournament world. Um, and I think sometimes what happens, you know, you're one of the largest people can look at that, like that's a behemoth, but it's a behemoth that's doing it correctly. Like they're, they're trying to make this correct. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, and, and it's, it's spawned from two things that you said, you know, um, I've heard a lot of parents and coaches say, oh, we can win this tournament. That's a tournament we can win. And I want to go back to what you said about competing, because I think that that gets lost a lot in the conversation, especially in youth hockey about how important it is just to be able to compete um, you know, I tell teams all the time when I'm coaching, especially if we don't win, people forget how hard it is to win. Only, only one team does it. That's it. I mean, depending on the, how many divisions there are, but only one team is going to win. It's, it's insanely hard to do. It's harder to do than anybody thinks, uh, unless you're rigging it and you're a, a team that's in the wrong division, right? But to me, that's just one of many challenges that, you know, we're putting our young athletes into. So you see a uh, enormous amount of hockey players, all right, every single year. Uh, I know you're really passionate about the well-being of players. So can we dive into some of the challenges that you see players face now in today's landscape? Uh, and I want to dive into them and maybe even how to how to fix them or change them or address them. Yeah, I think, you know, the the, the growth of, you know, youth hockey in the U.S., social media, the, the pressures of that the kids ha- have, they put on themselves, their parents, you know, the, the, what I call, you know, the, the, the need to have their kids goal put on social media. It, it has put a lot of, it, it's, it's, you know, in a sense, I think it's grown our business because it's that, you know, that FOMO, that fear of missing out that the parents have. So it's like a constant. So in the spring and summer, 
when there's zero parameters put on who you can play with, how many weekends you can play, like, you know, you're, 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 it's limitless. A lot of families and not, it's not criticizing. A lot of them are traveling a lot over the spring and summer to different events, combines, camps, tournaments. And, and all that's doing is it's putting in a sense, not, not on purpose, I'm not saying a parent is saying to their kid, hey, we're going to put you in these. And if you don't do well, you know, you have no chance of playing, you know, in in the USHL or North American League or college hockey or pro. It's just an added pressure because they're being, you know, they're in this in the spotlight of playing against the best teams on the continent. We have some tournaments that have teams from all over the continent that come to. And and I, I think that's the one of the biggest challenges is. How do you um, manage to continue to have your son or daughter develop without them feeling or traveling like that there's this pressure that, oh, I need to do this because my parents want us to. And, you know, looking back, I mean, you know, I'm 52. And when I grew up, it was hockey in the winter baseball, soccer in the, in the spring, summer, football in the fall, like it's totally different. Right. And, and I'm not saying that specializing in a sport is not the right thing because it seems to be, it's all you can do. It seems with the way this, you know, I don't know how I even did it. I think back about how I did played four sports because my boys could barely even play one, but that's what I think has happened is the sports specialization. And I can only speak to hockey because I'm in it. And I'm sure it's in every sport, individual team. It's, it's everywhere. There's, there's resources, there's coaches, there's everything for these kids today. And I think that's the biggest thing is I think what's, what's the reality is it even goes back to your comment about winning and losing. Like there's only one team that can win, but there's a lot of life lessons that come from losing as well. And, you know, when, when you don't lose at a young age, you don't really learn what it's like. And, and you know, and I'll, like, like I said, my, my, especially my middle son and my youngest, we, they were on number one team in the country at one point and losing was very rare. And when it did happen, it was like the end of the world. I remember having conversations with, with parents on, on, uh, my son's mission 2000 team that was one of the best teams ever. And like, we'd lose a game in a tournament. It was on a Saturday and we're sitting in the hotel and eating chicken wings at the Marriott in Toronto. And everybody looks like, you know, like death warmed over. And I'm talking to one of my friends and I just said, I'm like, you do realize that what is happening to us right now is exactly what happens to 99% of the teams in the country at our birth year. When they go to a tournament, they're not playing Sunday. And, you know, those are the things that I've, I've really kind of seen having been involved in it, that, you know, it's winning is great and winning breeds success. And and you, you know, there's a lot of positives to it, but that other side of it is something that I think has led to a lot of, um, issues with, let's say youth today is coping skills and, and how how do you deal with adversity, which, you know, is, 
really something that I really stress. Um, and I've stressed with my boys and others that I've spoken to is, you know what? Adversity is, is so important in life, not only hockey, because the, you know, there's a rare percentage of NHL players who have never had any adversity. I could probably name them on one hand. And even those guys, the Crosby's, the Nick David's, I mean, Makar, I mean, the list goes on and all these superstars, even though nobody thinks they ever had any adversity, I can guarantee you they did. You know, yeah. how about dealing with being the best player in the world? Right. How about, how about that pressure of, you know, and people are like, oh, he never had an adversity. I'm like, well, how about every time he laced up his skates, he had adversity because he had to worry about putting a show on because if he didn't score, it's the worst thing in life. Right. Well, so, yeah, let, let, look, Crosby's a great example. And I'll tell you, and, and this is largely forgotten in the hockey verse, but, um, you know, he comes in and I remember this gets a massive concussion and makes the decision as the best player in the world at that time to say, I'm going to sit out for a year. And, and everyone ridiculed him for an entire year. And he was a hundred percent right. And he completely changed how we view concussions in hockey because of that. Uh, you want to talk about adversity. I mean, uh, and, and like, like you said, all those guys have faced adversity. I think another thing that you brought up, and and look, I'm at the beginning of my parenting journey, right? My my son's still a mite, but it's some of the things that surprise me. I always say this: I'm so thankful for Christy and Mike because it's like these are like group therapy sessions for <laughs> for me. But you know, I was actually surprised uh, last season how much anxiety I felt for my own kid. Um, but because of the show and this group, I was able to kind of separate that and say, okay, that's that's on me. That's not him. So don't don't put that on him. And I didn't. Uh, and I don't plan to do that with my daughter either. Um, but one of the things that I realized from that kind of split mindset is, are we using hockey as a tool for him to get college scholarships or something, or is it a tool for his life? And and that's kind of how I approach it, that this game is a tool for life lessons to teach him how to deal with losing, adversity, all the, all the buzzwords you just said. Um, and I think that that a lot of parents get conflicted with that or lost in that sometimes. And, you know, I, I always say this too, like, look, before before Bantam, like in that kind of pubescent time period, before that time period, I mean, it's all about just loving the game. Like, it, it, you know, like look, like, let's be honest, when your kid hits puberty, all bets are off anyway. All right. He might come out five inches taller or five inches smaller. <laughs> and, yeah. that, you know, his athletic ability might change. So my point is from from six years old to, to 12, 15, you got to develop a love for the game because, Steve, you can't you can't make it without that. And I, I think that that's got to be the foundation, right? Like if that foundation isn't there, it doesn't really matter how talented you are, because if you don't can't deal with adversity, you know, you don't know how to lose or win with class. Right. It, it's it's not a waste, but it's just, it, it doesn't seem to be the right path to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, you know, the, definitely the love of the game and the, you know, the passion, like you, you no one, the best players in the world, you know, Crosby's a great example. And like everybody that I talk to, or if you read, he is the hardest working player in practice. Every practice, getting better, you know, you know, I, I think it was when McDavid kind of first came in the league and the, um, or maybe McKinnon, Ethan McKinnon, because they're from the same area. And, you know, 
you always see things where they're battling each other. And it's like, I mean, two warriors, like in the summertime. And it's like, wow, these guys could be on a beach in Hawaii in the summertime, but they're in, you know, Coal Harbor, Saskatchewan. I mean, uh, Coal Harbor, Nova Scotia, battling it out on a nice surface, like in July. And, you know, that's the other thing too, is I, with all that these kids are afforded from skills coaches and everything that they're doing, like that's where I think the biggest change in the game has happened. You know, even, even when I was playing in the NHL, my summers were in the gym, you know, rat hockey, just, you know, just staying in shape. And now it's like we said, every, every player has skills coaches. The young kids have skill coaches, right? So it's not only NHL players, it's, skill groups, skill coaches, off ice, which I think is a very, very underrated skill is the ability to work out off ice at a young age and build the foundation for when you're older. And I think that would be probably the biggest uh, mistake that parents are making is, is not taking advantage of the summer, it, you know, we're not talking heavy weights, but if you find the right trainer and there's a lot of really good ones who understands body movements, building the foundation from the waist down, which is really is the key to a hockey player. Um, you know, those things you could really have that ability when he is going through puberty and growing when the, like the Bambi phase that he doesn't have that. If you're building those muscles the proper way, those will carry you a long way. And so, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good things for, for kids these days. And I think that's why I don't think I know, you know, one is former NHL players staying in the cities there. They played coaching. St. Louis is an unbelievable example of that. Um, You know, guys staying and teaching and coaching, no, they don't necessarily have the best players, but if you're great players and you're taught to play the game the right way, the NHL, here you come, right? So it's like, that's what happened in St. Louis with all those former Blues that one year they had five or six first round picks. It's unheard of. So, you know, I think the parents need to understand that it's great to play games, but you have to combine both. That to me would be in a perfect world if I was to be able to write something on paper and be like, this is what I think are the best thing for development is off ice, get in some tournaments, shoot a lot of pucks, skill, you know, work on your hands, all that stuff at young age levels, because, you know, then you could take it, get an advantage over others. I would love for you to share your journey into hockey, which, because this is, I find this just fascinating you know you played at the highest level Blackhawks NHL you also played at Clarkson University which is my my neck of the woods just a couple hours north of us but I find it fascinating that you didn't get recruited to play for Clarkson did you I want I know the answer to this question but tell everybody how you ended up playing for this fabulous school love Clarkson so as I mentioned before, playing four sports, I never really like focused on, I didn't focus on one 
sport, which looking back, I thought was, you know, was, was great because I think a lot of the other sports enabled me to, you know, you talk about, you know, building skill sets in other sports. And so playing all these other sports and I was, I was strong. I was a good athlete and did well in all the sports. And right around when I was about, you know, 14, 15 and everybody else was going through puberty and I was not my, my hockey kind of took a step backwards and I was, you know, like playing Bantam A when the kids that I had played with were playing Bantam AAA. And, you know, so I kind of just from a maturity perspective, I could not keep up because everybody was going through puberty and I wasn't. So I kind of like stayed with it because I love the sport growing up at Montreal, you know, hockey is, is a huge sport there. Grew up a huge Canadians fan. And so I stayed with the sport, still played other games, you know, baseball in the summer, football, I stopped soccer. I stopped and I concentrated on hockey and baseball, baseball. I was a very strong player, but growing up in Montreal, playing baseball is like playing hockey in Florida 20 years ago. Like it just didn't exist. So I stayed with hockey. Um, you know, I had a little bit of interest from the Quebec major junior league when I was about, when I got when I was 16, 17, I decided, you know what, if I'm going to go along this journey, being at the, the level of maturity that I was, I don't want to start playing major junior and give up my education from the standpoint of us college hockey. And, and I really didn't know much. I just, I'd been to a couple of college hockey games with, and, you know, I fell in love with the, the fans and everything. And so when I was about, I think when I was, 17 and I was playing junior hockey in Montreal but it wasn't the greatest junior hockey league and so at the time I wrote I think it was at the time there was probably like 35 or 40 division one college hockey programs I wrote letters to all of them wow (laughs) and you know I can't remember I'm sure a few of them sent back some stickers and some different things saying hey thank you for the thank you for your interest you know which, which is fine and so playing in Montreal, Clarkson University is about an hour and 40 minutes. I had written a letter to them. And ironically enough, they came, one of their scouts, who happened to be a, a, a Budweiser rep in Messina, New York, came to watch a, a future teammate of mine play. And he watched our game and he went back to the school and said hey like I really think you should look at this kid so they followed up they came and watched and at the time it was a new coach uh, Mark Morris who I'm still friends with who had just taken over the program you know did not um, love the team the he wanted to kind of like bring in a new uh, culture of everything that was going on. And they came to me and said, you know, we don't have any scholarship money, but, you know, we feel you can contend for a spot as a walk-on. Wow. And so, <laughs> so I went to my parents and we talked about it and, you know, college wasn't nearly as expensive in 1989 as it is now, but it was still, you know, a lot of money for my family and, and us dollars and, we agreed that we're going to give it a year. Well, I'll, you know, my parents will pay for me for one year and hopefully it works out. So 
I go there, you know, start skating, start seeing that I'm doing pretty well. Um, obviously ended up making the team, um, and had a good enough year that I got drafted by the Blackhawks. Wow. Um, the following, yeah, the following summer. What an amazing and, story. And, 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 you were a walk-on. Yeah, and ended up getting, you know, scholarship from the school and played the next three years, you know, was the captain the last two years and then ended up signing with Chicago um, right after my senior year. So not, not exactly uh, the, you know, your typical story, but I think that goes hand in hand with today. There is no stones unturned. Right. I mean, it's, you know what I mean? There's, there's just so much hockey, you know, I think about like uh, TJ Watt. I think it's TJ Watt, the player from Houston. Yeah. Who, who walked on to Wisconsin, not because he didn't have a hundred offers because he wanted to play at Wisconsin. Like, and he's, you know, he's the best defensive player maybe in the history of the game. Then. So, so it's like in hockey, it goes back to what I said, like the, the, the live barns, the hockey TVs, the youth sports plus the, the list goes on and on of these streaming services that there is no real stories like that anymore because it's just overkill. Like there it's almost, it's almost to the point like in draft years where players are getting dropping in the rankings because they've had too many viewings and these, these, and they're, they're getting viewed. Now they're looking at what they're not doing instead of what they're doing. And then it becomes well, you wonder why a kid who's in the third round plays 1,200 games and is one of the best players because, you know, maybe he was undersized. Maybe, you know, you at the time you're looking for a bigger player, you know, in your position, like the draft, there's, there's only seven rounds. Some teams have three picks. Some teams have 14 picks. So it's it's like a little bit of a, of a, of a you know, depends on the year. So I just think that in today's world, and it goes, like I said, it's really difficult because – Everything is so public. I did not, I could not, I was born in 1970. I couldn't name you anybody in the province of Quebec in my birth year outside of the three or four kids on my team that I knew were better. Now, you know, at at my son's, at my 2000, especially at 97, my oldest, Josh, is coaching. I knew hundreds upon hundreds of kids at each age group, family, grandparents, sisters, like, you know what I mean? And that's where I think it's changed is the world is really small, but with the way the world is now, like with social media and, and phones and and everything like that, everybody's just so connected. I want to hear from our silent partner over here, Mike. (laughs) Yeah, Mike is here, ladies and gentlemen. For those of you listening, Mike is on the air. He's enjoying, yeah, I'm, he's, I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying is. the conversation. I like know. I was going to say, he, for those of you listening, he's been, he's been watching the whole time, yeah, diligently listening to Steve speak, but yeah, Mike, Mike we'd love to throw it, it to you Mike. too. No, no, it's unbelievable. It's a great, I mean, the story of what your career is unbelievable, I think, but I think what you're doing, um, you know, kind of on the, the youth hockey side, obviously, you know, having played and coming through with your kids and seeing all these, you know, uh, the struggles that parents go through, you know, to, to even get the tournaments and understand, you know, the managers and the coaches and all the influence. I mean, you know, after number one is after you can figure out an algorithm where I don't play the same town next to me 
when I travel 700 miles to go to a tournament, figure that algorithm first for me. And then I'll, then I'll love you. Um, you know, in the first game of my, of my tournament in Nashville and, and I'm playing my, you know, the, the team down the street. But other than that, let me ask some from, from a back to a tournament perspective, just be based off of now your experience. What are some, like, what are your top three things you could tell coaches and managers in these tournament situations to like, to, to, to keep the, to keep the temperature down? Like, like it's, it, it, is it, is it, I mean, I'm sure, you know, you're, the people that are doing these tournaments and sitting at the desk love it when, you know, five parents approach them and say, you know, what's the point differential and, 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 you know, how is it? So, so maybe give some advice from your perspective on, you know, not maybe not so much running a tournament, but you know, what are some of the keys that, that you try to get your staff to have the same energy, you know, on Thursday and Friday carry over to Sunday. Cause it's gotta be di- difficult, right? Cause I see when I go to these tournaments, I see the same staff sitting at the desk, basically all day Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. And they probably answered the same question, whether it's a good question or not, you know, 700 times. So what are some advice you could give in these, in these tournament situations? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the biggest thing for, for us is, you know, when we, you know, obviously we've, the, the, the evolution of you know, online scoring, you know, there's apps like Game Sheet that we use that are really, really good um, systems. It, I think it's helped because now it's not so much pressure on the, the the rink managers to have all the information that they need. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, the, the pressure, it goes back to what we talk about. Like, if the parents didn't care as much, I'll put myself in that because I do. If we didn't care as much... First off, we wouldn't be in the tournament, right? Like we wouldn't be willing to travel all these times. But from that perspective, the the the, the society we have, everybody needs answers now, right? So there's none of this. You can't you can't be patient at all. So you know, my biggest thing would be is you know, we we get emails and, and calls from parents, and you know, we we basically have the same reaction, like you know. There, there's got to be a hierarchy of how these things get passed down. You know, the manager, you know, Steve, he's the one that dealt with uh, with our person. So he's the one that should be making the calls. Like we don't, we, we, we don't want to get bombarded with, you know, fit calls and emails from, from four families on a team when it could be, it could be diffused by, the one manager that we have the contact with. So I think that's, that's probably be the biggest thing is, you know, it goes back to, it's just everything. Like it's just when there's a, when there's money spent and time and your kid and it's, it's really hard to like, like Lee mentioned, like I'm the first, you know, I played at the highest level and I still, my heart is still through my chest when I watch my boys, like, I'm just, I'm, it is, it's just who I am. Like I want, you want the best for them. And so a lot of times when parents are, you know, quote unquote, getting a little out of hand about scoring and, you know, who like, Oh, well the score is wrong on the app and all that. Like it comes from a good place. It's just how that message gets 
relate. And I think that is the biggest thing is, listen, there's no one in any tournament company who wants to get a score wrong on an app. So, you know, think about it from that perspective. Oh, someone made a human error, the scorekeeper, somebody put four to two for this team over that team, not on purpose. It was, it was human error. They're, they're scorekeeping 40 games in a weekend. They can make one error. It gets fixed. But from your perspective, like, like, it, it gets worse when multiple people are, are saying the same thing. So that's what I would say is, you know, hey, go up to the manager. You got a good relationship. Hey, Joe, the score is wrong. Okay, I'll handle it. Right. But when you when when they're out of control, and, oh, my, kid, my kid had a, you know, he's a goalie and he had he had 46 saves and he only have 29 You're ruining saves. his life. And it's like, <laughs> OK, we'll yeah. fix it. We'll I fix know. It. Here's my you know, clipboard. I count yeah. each one. <laughs> let, let me show you my uh, iPad of hockey oh, TV yeah. and, and oh, yeah. you know, like I, I'll tell you this, too, Steve, you bring up a good point. And this, this is something I realized. Um, I always say this is no perfect parents. Um but in hockey, look, I agree with you. I think a, a large majority of parents, they just want what's best for their kid, and it becomes very powerful and emotional. But what I've learned, that's hard on its own. What's even harder is having to allow your kid to fail or feel the pain and then walk them through that, right? I, I remember one time uh, in Bantam getting cut from a team and I was devastated. I was just devastated. And I remember, you know, my, looking back at it, my father felt the same devastation. Uh, that car ride home was not, well, they they don't know what they did and they made a mistake. It wasn't like that. It was, this is what's happening. How are we going to deal with it? Right. And I'm realizing now how important of a message that was. They, they, he kept the accountability on me of how are you going to respond to that? And I think that I find that in youth hockey a lot is that no question there's just no question that you want the best for your kid but look your kid's dealing with adversity focus on the adversity and how you're gonna get over it because when your kid is 20 30 40 50 60 has kids of their own that's far more of a powerful message than whatever your save percentage might have been or the score might have been that was incorrectly put in that if you just talked like an adult would have been changed anyway right so i i always i always say this hockey is a game where you can teach life lessons and those life lessons are infinitely more important than any outcome of the game. And I'm talking all the way up through making the NHL. Um, Steve, I've got, I've got two questions left. One of them I wanted to ask, cause we had a conversation the other day about this. Uh, and I think this will be really valuable to our audience, right? I want to talk about the kid who's on the verge, 17, 18 years old, junior might be a possibility. College might be a possibility. Um, but you know, there has to be a certain clear mindset of where you rank and what's the best avenue. Because I think sometimes people go, I can't do college because my kid could play juniors, and that's really not the right path, right? So what what is just your advice to a family that's in that situation? You know, a kid might be on the bubble. It's not completely clear of maybe the questions they should ask or the actions they should take to kind of ensure uh, the potentially best method to move forward. Well, I think in today, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of help for the families. Um, there's there's a lot of paid advisors who are out there, you know, helping the kids. So there is some there is some tools for the families to 
you know, at least get some advice from guys who've been through it, who have other clients and all that. But in terms of the point of, of where to play and all that, you know, there's two sides to it. I never want to take away someone's dream because I was that, you know, getting back to your point, I was cut every team from peewee through Ben. I'm like, you know, you're just not big enough. You're not good enough. But so I dealt with that. And that to me was part of the reason why I succeeded because I had that burning desire to prove people wrong. Like, you know what I mean? And I think so today that dream of somebody playing in the ushl north american league the ncdc usphl like there's a lot of avenues and it comes down to you know you have to you're 20 years old to play junior and you really have to make a decision of okay am i willing to really fight this out for the next two to three years and possibly end up at the same place I would have ended up if I'd gone to college when I was 18 after being a natural freshman. And so the parents have to weigh that. Oh, well, you know, you know, he's going to work his way up the ladder. Okay, great. And I appreciate that. But what's going to happen in three years when you're saying to yourself, Oh, you know what? We should have sent him here. He should have gone to play college. He could have. He could have gone to a Division three school. He could have played club hockey. Like there, there's a whole lot of options, and and you know, you don't want to be that person that discourages, but there's also the reality. And I think you know, it's one of those things when you're in youth hockey. You know, I think it was George Carlin. You know, everybody wants honesty. But when you're honest with them, you're considered an asshole. <laughs> and I have that in my phone because that's great. You know, the there's a lot of times over the years, especially when I was coaching, you know, the conversations would be, listen, before we have this conversation, do you want me to tell you what you want to hear? Or do you want to know the truth? Because if you want to only hear what it is that you want to hear. We're not having this conversation. You know, and they'll be like, no, 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 I want to know the truth. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, they're, they're walking away pissed off. So, you know, that's just the nature of it. And like you said, it's all comes down to, you know, the, the crazy parent <laughs> is really because, you know, you almost look at it and say, you know, it was another, I'll, I'll quote another movie with uh, Ronnie Dangerfield and Sam Kinison, where he's yelling at him in the classroom. And Roger and uh, Ronnie Dangerfield turns to the camera and says, he really cares about what? I don't know. <laughs> and like, like you look, you think about these things and that's exactly like, like these guys, like you just, <laughs> it's hard, right? Because you they do the little tie so thing when you say that. Yeah. Show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, uh, you uh, must uh, you must experience this every weekend, right? I mean, you, you go, everybody's coming up to you on Thursday saying, "Steve, you have the best tournament. Oh, this is unbelievable! I think it's great." <laughs> and on Sunday, like, 
you are the worst human being I've ever seen. I can't believe you put us into this. This is the worst. I mean, it's like, well, well, it was the same exact tour. It's the same exact tournament as it was three days ago. Yeah. So, well, my partner, Jeremy, you know, he'll laugh when he hears this, but he's the one that takes the. Sorry. Sorry. Go see that guy. Yeah. Around the hall. yeah. yeah. Steve, I'll tell you what, the, the whole time you were talking, Mike was just nodding with the eyes of understanding, like, yes, I agree with this. Yeah. The entire, uh, so, it's always the case. Everybody wants to try out for your team until you they get caught and then you then you then your team sucks. Yeah. So it's like, well, I know. It yeah, does. the other team's better anyways. <laughs> the other team's a better fit. Yeah. Yeah. That's you know, fun. Steve, I, I I wanted to close this out with uh, uh kind of a, a dual question here that one question will lead into the other. Right. Um, again, you were fortunate to, to play in the NHL, uh, an amazing experience. I want to ask you this. What do you miss the most about the league, the show? Uh, you know what? I, I, I've, you know, the, obviously the money today is significantly higher, um, but at the time, you know, I was making a good living. So I, you know, I, I wouldn't put money as the, as the top thing that I miss, but obviously it's nice to, you know, to get a good, nice paycheck for playing a sport that you love. But I think as when I retired and I tried to do a bunch of different things and, you know, food service, and I was trying to like, almost like remove myself from hockey for some reason that, you know, I don't really know why, because it just kept on, you know, coming back going like, why are you fighting right. something that really afforded you the, op like, the you know where you can you know give back and 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 have the wealth of knowledge that you know very few people get an opportunity to experience and play with top players and top coaches and all that so you know I think I think the um the biggest thing is whatever business that I've gotten into I've really felt that it was important to have a good team and we we do have a very good team um and i think that's allowed really our growth is that we trust each other you know what i mean like you know do we have fights within our company at times we do i mean you yeah. know it's what family it's, doesn't <laughs> yeah. so so it's just that's probably the biggest thing you know and and when and when we whenever i have conversations with partners with people that we want to do things with as you know because we've had this conversation the biggest thing for for me is really just the fact that it never really works nothing in life works if it's one-sided right it just doesn't you know individual sports maybe but but anything where there's where there's a team involved it just never works you know you have right. to have everybody pulling on the same rope you have to look out for your for your for your uh, you know your business associate the same way as you did a teammate and that's what i think is is one thing that if anybody asked me that would be it it was just the the locker room you know lunches dinners right. uh you know playing for the guy next to you being held accountable which is you know we could talk that's a whole other segment for hours <laughs> that we talk about of, of accountability in 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 people today um, so that, that, that's what I think is the biggest thing is, you know, I, I feel like I, I enjoy being held accountable because it just, you know, you have to answer to somebody and, and when you don't have to, and 
I think that's where problems are caused when you don't have that, you know, teammate, you know, yelling in your face that you're playing like shit. And, <laughs> well, you know, yeah, it didn't you're... happen often, but it happened a couple of times. And I, I think back going, God, I, I respect that guy even more now going, having kids and seeing how that doesn't exist anymore. Right. Well, I was going to say, it turns out being honest is not being an asshole in that situation. But uh, as you said before, but look, look and that, that perfectly le- leads into this question, right? Um, we're in a time period now. Social media is king. Information is king. Uh, any parent who has a child that has a cell phone knows what I'm talking about. Uh, we've seen in locker rooms now, game ends, kids on their phone, right? So I think, uh, you know, you're talking about community here. Right. And there is a clear lack of community or an attack on community in sports. And I think that based on your answer, we are forgetting how important that is because you said it. There really is no successful venture in life, in life. I'm not just talking hockey or business where you don't have people surrounding you to help you. You brought up individual sports. I've had the privilege of interviewing some of the greatest individual athletes. In the world, they'll all tell you, I have a team. You just don't see them, but I have a team. Like, I don't get this good, uh, you know, at, at tennis or being a jockey just because I do it. So the, my final question, and then, and then Christy and Mike, if, if you have any follow-ups, please, please jump in, is how important is it for us in hockey to kind of reinvigorate the understanding of community, the understanding of team, you know, building those bonds and understanding that team building, team bonding is an essential part, not not an, a bonus part, an essential part of the growth of an athlete. Yeah, I think there's definitely the, you know, some even some of the, you know, talking a little bit about some of the changes is, I believe, um, some of the NHL teams actually have brought on former players as like mentors, whether it's for mental health or team stuff, like I believe that they've done that. So when you look at that level of $85 million in payroll and these guys are feeling how important it is to have that culture and um you know, attitude in the locker room, that goes back to, you know, let's say the lack of, you know, the ability to have that in youth hockey. Like why, you know, why are you not, you're at a tournament, perfect example. Like we used to have team meals all the time after games and stuff. Like right. the value of that, of, of of the kids being around each other and, you know, forming those relationships. Whereas I've also seen teams where, you know, basically as soon as the game's over, it's like scattered. And, and when teams look at why maybe they're not winning, why maybe they are winning like Tampa Bay, perfect example. I mean, you don't have that success. It's not only based on the skill level of their players, right? It's from the top down GM owners, coaches, players, captains, trainers, massage therapists, whatever they have, they're all, you know, they're all, they all have the same mindset. And I think teams that are, that are skilled, that don't win. Often it's just a, it's often like, 
oh, they, oh, they're not mature enough to win. They haven't lost. They haven't, you know, like, well, Colorado was in last place in the league five years ago. They just won the Stanley Cup. So, right. you know, it, it can happen. And I think the key to it is building, like you said, like it goes back to, you know, it's, and obviously with an, a pro team, they have the money and they have the resources to do whatever these teams, whatever the players want. But in youth hockey, there is opportunities to build where, you know, the, the, the ninth forward doesn't feel like the ninth forward. Because right. when the ninth forward feels like the ninth forward, you're never going to win. And that's the challenge is, you know, making everybody feel like they're part of a team. Because having been that, you know, looking kind of back at my role, that if I'd ever been in like a Stanley cup playoff where I could be like the ability for that third, fourth line to be the difference in a play. Like it's not the superstars Like in Colorado's case, bonafide stars who, who have qualities of those third, fourth line guys. Right. Like who that's the difference with that group, like in terms of, but a lot of teams like in Tampa's case, their high-end skilled players are awesome. But if you look at the success, it was, you know, um, the three guys they brought in, Goudreau, Gord, and Coleman, right? They talk about that all the time. Like, you know, oh, we gave up – they gave up first-rounders for Blake Coleman? Yeah, yeah, two Stanley Cups. <laughs> Character. You know, like – and then again, this year, Tampa goes out and they, they've got the kid from Chicago um, for, for two first rounders, like, because they value and they see the pieces, right? Like, right. just like in any business, like you have to have the right pieces in place to be successful. And, you know, there's very few companies, you know, obviously Amazon and, and, and Apple and these companies, but they're not one person. Right. The one person might be the one in the news. Right. The figurehead. But the, you know, there's a lot of pieces that go into, you know, what Amazon taking over the world, so to speak. Right. (laughs) There's, there's a lot to be said for that. And, you know, and a lot of life lessons are learned. I, I, I agree just, and maybe it's because I've been in hockey, but I do not believe there's another sport out there that creates life lessons that stay with people for their entire lives like hockey does it's just for whatever reason i don't know if it's the maybe it's the rink there's no you know there's there's walls there's there's all these things that that come into play that really you know the percentage of players that play pro hockey is so small that the families have to realize that it's a sport for life not a sport to get to be in play pro hockey i i love your answer and i always say that in a tournament week, you may go through more adversity in that six day period than you will in six months. <laughs> and I said, it's, it is a great teacher. And I agree with you. Uh, Mike, Christy, I want to throw it to you before I close this out, if there's anything. Uh, yeah, I just, maybe briefly, we can touch upon this because I, and I'm, I'm trying to ask you this to, structure is important for a kid. Obviously it's good to have good structure and it gets like, but to me, it just seems like parents are over structured, even coaches too. And it's stifling creativity. 
Do you see that trend? Are you concerned about what you're seeing out there? You know what? I, I think it's it's definitely something that I do think about in terms of like I, I think structure to a point is important because you know th- there there's a lot of different coaches, a lot of coaches have different philosophies. But I, I think that as the kids go up in hockey, the structure almost becomes more and more. So I think giving a, giving a young player, and I use this like almost like teaching, because when I was coaching at young age groups and we used to do like power play, and people were like, oh, well, you know, how are you going to be able to teach power play for these young kids? And I'm like, well, we maybe won't, we'll teach power play, but we won't necessarily use that per se, where I'm going to get mad if they don't do it in the game. And I equate it to, if you have a child who's really good at math, are you just going to let him just stay at the level of math that everybody else is? So push them I was a big believer in pushing them to the point where maybe they don't succeed at it, but at least it's in their minds as to what is kind of like going to be coming down the road in terms of, oh, well, you know, we're going to do an overload or an umbrella power play. And maybe they don't get into the setup in a game, but there's the understanding of as I'm getting older, that's going to happen. And, you know, there are some, some, some junior teams in the USHL that have different structure that have more of a skill, you know, skill mindset. Some have more structure and I don't think any of them are wrong, but I think for, for young kids in with what is happening today, I think structure at home is extremely important because there's so many distractions that, are taking kids down, maybe down a path that their parents don't want them to. And I'm not saying you have to be all oh, curfews at nine and, and, but I think there's ways to, to get your point across as a parent that like almost that the kid trusts that what you're saying is what's best for him rather than you trying to like keep him from growing. If, if that's, makes sense like then and, and in hockey the same thing like you know i'm a big believer in give them as much as they can take maybe a little more let them fail right you know let them fail a little bit and let, let them see what it's like to fail because you know it goes back to your point when it, with without having the ability to cope with failure no one goes through life without it you know whether it's a death in the family like yeah. it's just it's and everybody fails that's, that's the other part everybody, everybody, everybody fails it's a teacher um i always tell people don't don't fear it like it's i'm not saying you have to feel good when you fail but you got to see it for what it is or my my favorite kobe bryant quotes is what is failure is you wake up some days you win you wake up some days you lose that's it you move forward you know and and uh no steve you're making fantastic points here about um just understanding that and adversity so you're right we could do another show about that mike did you have anything sorry no, that's great. The great conversation and really appreciate your time. And I think, um, you know, I, I think it's great for parents to hear just your perspective on, you know, obviously having a couple of boys that, that have gone through and you've seen all, all these other, I mean, I think the other perspective you get is you get to see thousands of families 
you know, from like this bird's eye view, right. And watching the, the, the top, my hockey rankings to the lowest first tournament, you know, first experience a team has in a tournament. So I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's really valuable and, and look forward to seeing the success this year on, on all the, uh, the excursions you have planned for the young hockey players of America. That is the right word. <laughs> Steve, you've been a fantastic guest. Uh, we'll have to have you back on again because I know we're going to get a lot of mailbag questions uh, from our audience about, hey, ask him this. Ask him. That. You know, I want to know this. Is that the guy that screwed me over in that tournament? No, that's his business partner. I'll talk to him instead. There's a lot of different ways we can look at it. But uh, no, Steve, really fantastic perspective. Uh, it's it's one of the main reasons we wanted to have you on because, again, to the people listening, Steve sees he's done it. He sees literally thousands of players, probably hundreds of thousands of your life now. Uh, and he's gone through it as a parent. So it's, it's kind of the triple, the triple threat here of understanding. And uh, I just really want to tell you, thank you for your perspective today. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So if, if you want more information on, on, on Steve or, or super series, uh, make sure you check out super series, That's where you can find all of his tournaments. Also keep an eye out for the elite prospects cup, uh, which is starting here in a couple of weeks. Uh, and it's going to be in uh, multiple cities. Excited about that. Um, but without further ado, that's going to do it for this edition of Our Kids Play Hockey. Again, you can listen to this episode and every episode we've ever done at OurKidsPlayHockey.com or really wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, I want to thank the audience once again. You put us in the top 10 list of hockey podcasts in America, which Christy, Mike, and I are just shocked with and also humbled by. So thank you so much for sharing this with your friends i know you put it in your team snaps i know you've given us ratings online uh we're going to continue to to bring in great guests like steve and and push this show forward to the next level so uh thank you so much for that want to wish you the best week we know seasons are starting so enjoy it and make sure you teach those kids those life lessons we'll see you next time on our kids play hockey have a great day everybody we hope you enjoyed this edition of Our Kids Play Hockey. Make sure to like and subscribe right now if you found value wherever you're listening, whether it's a podcast network, a social media network, or our website, ourkidsplayhockey.com. Also, make sure to check out our children's book, When Hockey Stops, at whenhockeystops.com. It's a book that helps children deal with adversity in the game and in life. We're very proud of it. But thanks so much for listening to this edition of Our Kids Play Hockey, and we'll see you on the next episode.